today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. More often, this battle is won and lost in the small decisions every day. Whether we choose to volunteer to host people at our house for our small group, whether we choose to show up on a non-optional work day, whether we choose to spend time with our spouse after a long day at work, whether we choose to spend time with the kids, whether we call somebody we know needs help, whether we look in to a mercy need that we think maybe nobody has seen yet, that's, I believe, where we're called to lose our lives and live for Christ. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Being pulled to and fro is part of our battle today as Christians. It's a struggle to keep Jesus at the center of our lives, to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. He literally wants us to follow Him in ministry, in marriage, in child raising, in work ethic, and even in the little things. Where He is, so we should be too. This is how the victory is won. We don't allow the things of this world to draw us away from our love of Christ. We will bring people to Jesus by showing our love towards Him. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of John chapter 12, verse 25, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Missions. He was dealing with religious people, people used to hearing the standard, okay, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do, this is what we're supposed to do, and and so he uses language like love and hate to try to wake people up and get them to understand what he's saying. And according to one definition, when he says, whoever loves his life loses it, he means people who delight in this life or in this world more than in God. He says, if, if you love your life to the point where you love your life, your, your world, your cars, your stuff, your friends, your Facebook account more than God, you'll lose your life. It'll be wasted. And he says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Well, he doesn't mean he's supposed to hate, you know, say your spouse, although he does make strong comments about family and other parts of the gospels. But what he means is, You need to think so little of your life and so much of God that you're willing to sacrifice your entire life for God. This is a radical call. This is not the standard, give us Wednesdays, give us Sunday mornings, give us, you know, one to 2% of your income and you'll be set. No, this is a radical call from Jesus. Matthew Henry, an old commentator of scripture, says this. He says, See here the fatal consequences of an inordinate love of life. And I love this. He says, many a man hugs himself to death. Isn't this our culture? Don't we live in a culture where where maybe we take many good things, maybe things that aren't necessarily evil or wrong, but we love them so much that we love them more than God. We hug ourselves to death with new cars or clothes or stuff or friends or relationships or a subscription to the NFL network. This is us hugging ourselves to death. Not that those things are wrong, but notice what he's saying. The problem comes when you delight in that thing, that stuff, this world, more than in God. 
And we have to ask a hard question, Christians. We have to ask a hard question. Do we delight in our life in this world more than in God? And it's easy. It's easy because we live in a culture which is relatively safe. There are, there are believers in different parts of the world where they're faced with life and death on a daily basis. We're faced with choices between Whataburger and Burger King on a daily basis. You know, it's just like, well, they do have that chicken sandwich that I love. I mean, these are like, now, not that nothing happens that's difficult or hard, but in general, I'm just speaking in general terms, we live a pretty safe existence. And what happens in a safe existence is that we begin to love that life more than Christ. But Jesus says that's the first step. That's the first step to true gospel mission is to lose your life. But here's the second step. Make Jesus your life. As Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. See, Jesus is not just calling us to hate a bunch of things for no reason. This is, this, Jesus is not calling us to a life of sort of asceticism, the old Greek philosophers that believe that, you know, the way to true existence is just to kind of deny everything, to not like anything. Do you like this? No, I don't like anything. And just sort of protect yourself from the hope, the fears, and disappointments of the world. That's not what he's calling us to. He's not calling us to put on our little pointy ears and become Vulcans for the cause of Christ, where we just try not to like anything. See, Jesus is not calling us just to not like things or turn away from things. He's calling us to something. He, he wants us to lose our lives so that we are able to do something, and that is to be able to follow him. There's a similar passage to this in Matthew where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to lose your life in order to gain something, in order to get something. But here's what happens. Here's what sort of the religious culture trains us to do, to, to hear the call of Christ and say, that looks really difficult. I think we can compromise here, right? And this is what our compromise looks like. Okay, we're willing to make Jesus our life as long as Jesus will let us have blank, whatever it is. As long as Jesus will have, let us have that him and that one other thing that we really want, we need Jesus and something else in order to be joyful, to be satisfied, to be okay, to be at peace. In a book called uh, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, Tullian Tavigian says this, for many of us, it may be Jesus and our achievements that we want. Jesus and our strengths. Jesus and our reputation. Jesus and our relationships. Jesus and our family's prosperity. Jesus and our ambitions and goals and dreams. And Jesus and our personal preferences and style and tastes. Jesus and our spiritual growth. Jesus and our hobbies and recreational pursuits and entertainment habits. And especially Jesus and our personal set of life rules. Whatever it is our heart is drawn to, whether it be a cultural trend, a cause, a diversion, a passion, a relationship, a pursuit, a venture, a comfortable routine, and however subtly it pulls us in, the cold, hard truth is that almost immediately it becomes an idol, meaning that it takes the place of God in our lives, and our heart grabs hold of it. We think Jesus plus something equals our lives, in essence. 
Now, many of these things he talked about, in fact, none of the things he talked about are necessarily even evil in and of themselves. But when we make those things a requirement for our life, we must have Jesus plus whatever it is we want. When that is our life, then I think we're not doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And Jesus knows this. He knows the temptation in us, and he's asking us not to use the math of this world for this to make sense to us, but to use the math of the gospel. Because here's the irony. When we eliminate the plus blank, the and something, when we eliminate Jesus plus something, and we just keep Jesus, we actually have more. Okay, this is counterintuitive, this is radical, this is countercultural, but, but the more that we, we lay down, Scripture says, the more that we die to ourselves, the more life we find. And here's what this looks like. When we hold on to, to say, for example, financial security in an ungodly way, when we say, look, if I'm going to be secure, if I'm going to be safe, I'm going to be happy, and this is one of mine, if I'm going to do that, I need Jesus, that's true, but I also need X amount of savings, that then I'll be okay. Where Jesus knows that, and that, in fact, robs us of the real peace we could achieve, we could have by eliminating that requirement of savings. I'm not saying savings is bad, but, but when it's necessary for us to have our peace and satisfaction and joy and hope, we've obscured making Jesus our lives. And we hold on to that security Jesus offers us real peace, real peace that comes when we trust him completely. Or think about this, we hold on to maybe an ungodly relationship that we know that we shouldn't because we want that feeling of love and we want that feeling of, you know, someone's interested in me and you know this person's not good for you, but you, you think, okay, I can, I can make this work, I can work this out. When Jesus is saying, look, I offer you the love that your heart craves. I'm your creator. I made you for a relationship with me and there's so much more if you're willing to let go of that other thing you want to hold on to. Or we, we hold on to stuff, even just silly stuff like television addiction because we want to be entertained and, and dazzled all the time when there are dazzling glories in Christ Jesus that we have never explored that are so much more soul-satisfying. The Bible is radical. And, and in, in the Psalms, a psalmist says this, in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, the call of Jesus is the call to make him our life completely and fully. And he says, look, these things that hold you back from that, you have to get rid of them if you are to take hold of what is truly life. Here's an example. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talks to the rich, which if you read stats about the entire global economy, even in a lower income city like El Paso, we would still qualify, I think, according to Paul's definition of rich. Paul tells the rich, he charges them not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. But he doesn't just do that to be mean. He says that. He says, don't do this. Don't put your hope there so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, he's arguing with them. He's saying, look, you think that this thing that you have is going to give you life, but it's not. You have to give that up in order to grab hold of the life in Jesus. 
this is pushing on us, I think, in helpful ways. It pushed on me this week because our religious expectations are, okay, look, I ha- I'm going to have to give up probably things like this and this and this, but, but I can keep some of my stuff, right? Like when I come to Christ, I can keep stuff that I like, right? Well, Jesus, I think, is saying, friend, you need to think very carefully about why you want that and whether you want it more than Christ and whether it's required for you to be full of joy and at peace and satisfied. Step number three is to live for Jesus. Lose your life, make Jesus your life, and third, live for Jesus. When Jesus tells these guys to follow him, he's talking to his disciples, And in that day, being a disciple was not a part-time job. It wasn't something you did on Twitter. There was this great cartoon that has Jesus, and he's talking to like, you know, a couple of the fishermen, and he says something like, just one of those little like far side sort of cartoons. He says, no, I literally want you to follow me. I'm not talking about Twitter. And the disciples are just like, yeah, like shoot me your handle, Jesus. I'll totally follow you. He's like, I, I don't think we're on the same page here. But, but, but that's the level of commitment we're used to in our culture. You know, following somebody on Twitter is a large commitment for us because we're, we love the stuff in our lives so much. In this day, the, being a disciple meant that you literally followed your teacher around. You literally imitated him. You literally learned to think like him and live like him. And so Jesus says, where I am, there will my servant be also. Jesus is saying that when he is somewhere, his servants or his disciples are to be there too. Well, you could think, okay, that just meant if he's going to the next town, you just go with him to the next town. Well, I think Jesus has more that he's talking about here. See, Jesus is at work in different areas. He, he holds certain things as precious. He calls us to be at certain places, metaphorically, because he, his heart is there. And if we're to have his heart as disciples, we need to be where he is. And so think about this. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul lays out how marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And so Paul is saying, look, Christ is displaying his work through your marriage. That's an amazing thing. But I think he would ask us, where I am, there my servant should be also. So if he holds marriage as precious, husbands and wives, do we hold marriage as precious? Are we where he is? Or think about kids in Luke 9, 48. Jesus says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Christ is saying, look, receiving and caring for a child, whether it's at home, whether it's in children's ministry, whether it's volunteering to babysit, that is done as to him. Are we there, church? These are the things that have challenged me this week. Think about mercy. In Matthew 28, Jesus says helping someone in poverty or visiting someone sick or visiting someone in prison is like visiting him. That's where he is. And I think he would ask, are you there also? And there's two things as I've prayed about it this week and thinking about areas where Jesus is that he calls us to also be. I've thought about two areas in particular for the church. And the first is that Jesus is in the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells us that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, that Jesus is at work right now building his church and he's asking us, are you there? Are you with me in building the church? And we're gonna talk more about this next week, but I, I believe we're at a crucial moment in our church history. 
we have a, a, a significant group of people that have built our church for many years. Some of them have come in, you know, maybe to the church in their 20s, 30s, and have been here, had a long run serving at our church. And then there's an, also a group of people like me who have grown up in the church. And, you know, after doing church for five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, whether you, you've been in children's ministry for part of that time or not, when that happens, you start to crave sort of a church or a mission that you can fit into your life where it's convenient. You start to crave, you know what, I just, just wish, this is getting, it's getting tiring, man. I, I just wish I could just kind of look for a place with a little bit less commitment. That would be nice. It'd be awesome to watch Monday Night Football every once in a while which is sometimes what I think. But, but I, I believe Jesus has a particular call for our church. He's saying, look, it's not wrong to need a break. It's not wrong to maybe shift ministries. It's not wrong to, to pull out for a while so you can come back in. But if the goal is to just get your church commitment level down to a manageable level, I think we have to ask whether or not that expectation is set by the community around us or is set by Jesus. That's one area. The second area is the area of mission. There's a particular passage in Mark 2 where the religious leaders say to the disciples, well, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is Jesus' response. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is where Jesus is. He's with sinners. He's with tax collectors. He's with people that are uncomfortable, people that make weird comments, people who may say something bizarre in front of the kids. This is where Jesus is. And I believe he's asking us as a church, are you there as well? And I believe, church, that this, is, this must be a crucial part of our mission. And as we'll talk about next week, I think our mission is getting kind of more narrowly defined. I think we're starting to see what God really has for us in terms of mission. And one of the things, I think maybe the main thing, is that I believe we're here in this city at this time to tell the gospel to people who think they already know the gospel. And I believe it's a crucial moment in, in the city's history because as I've talked to people in my age group, maybe under 40, there was, a, there was a large sort of a religious block, I think, in my parents' generation where everyone is kind of content to just follow the patterns that, that they've grown up into. And I think my generation is a little bit more, and I don't know, rebellious. And they're just, in a lot of ways, they've seen sort of their parents' religion, whether, whether it's good or bad, and have made a determination, you know what, I grew up in that, that's not for me. And they assume that they know the gospel. They assume that they've seen it, they tried it, whatever, and they're moving on. And there's a generation of people, I believe, that think that they, they don't need the gospel when, in fact, God's word calls this life and death. This is life and death, I believe, for this next generation of El Paso. And I believe our church can play a role in shaping the future of this city if we're able to love and serve that generation. We must be where Jesus is. Now, this has challenged me this week. This has been hard for me to think through because many times I can think, okay, you know what, if God ever, I think most of us think this, if God ever appeared to me like in a vision or told me audibly to do something, I would totally do it, right? It's like, yeah, I would totally do that. If he said, go, go here, you know, go sell your house and do this, like audibly in a vision, we'd probably be, okay, wow, that was, I guess so. But here's, here's the thing, friends. If we are Christians and we believe that this, we believe that this is the word of God, if we believe that, that God himself speaks through this, we have been told by Christ what to do. We have been told by Christ what to hold as precious. And I, and I say this 
And I've had to wrestle with this this week. I say this not because I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? Everybody just needs to get on page with, with what we're doing in the church. I'm excited about what we're doing, so we need to do this. No, I'm after your joy. I'm after the joy of every Christian in this church. And, and the, the irony is that when we think, you know what? I don't know if I want to go full bore on this mission thing in the church. I want to hold back a little bit. I want to hold some things precious to me. What Jesus is saying, friends, you don't have any idea how much peace and joy and satisfaction comes from being about the mission of God. And so many of us who think, man, I wish there was more in my Christian life. I just wish I had a deeper relationship. I long for more. There's got to be something more. Jesus is holding out more and saying that, that friends, it's going to be counterintuitive, but you're going to have to drop some things in order to fully embrace Christ and his purpose. I believe in many ways we're, we're, we've approached the door of the classroom and everyone's sitting outside and Jesus is calling us in the doors. He's saying, try the handle, flip the lights on. I've got more for you than you think. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this, that this doctrine Christ much insisted on, which means that he, he often insisted on this. It was the great design of his religion to wean us from this world by setting before us another world. Jesus does that and he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He says, if you could just see beyond the confines of this life, you have no idea what's lying in store for you. This week, I just wanna close by just an illustration from my own life. This week, this past week, Jen and I, we bought a house, which was exciting, and we had prayed about it. We'd saved for it. We felt it was wise. We looked at all these different factors, and as soon as we bought this house, though, I could feel, I could feel the house sort of sinking its hooks in me. I, I mean, and this is a house we're going to have to do a, a, a significant amount of work on for the next, you know, month or two, and I could just kind of feel like, you know, if only, it's like I've arrived, you know? We have a baby on the way. The house is bought. If only I could just, you know, just, okay, just here's, here's you know, the family. Here's the house. If, if I could just keep that, then that's, then I've got my life. Then I'm satisfied. Then I'm at peace. And, and even as I was working on the message this week, I felt like Jesus wrestling with me and saying, saying, what have you made your life? What are you willing to lose for my sake that it would go into the ground and bloom in, in fruit? Would you be willing to lose this house? Step one, lose your life. Step two, make Jesus your life. Step three, live for Jesus. This is, this is a battle, church, that's won and lost, not, I think, in, in, in decisions that we wait for years. Like, there's gonna be some big decision that I'm gonna lo lose my life and, and claim Christ. Those do happen, but I think more often, this battle is won and lost in the small decisions every day. Whether we choose to volunteer to host people at our house for our small group, whether we choose to show up on a non-optional work day, whether we choose to spend time with our spouse after a long day at work, whether we choose to spend time with the kids, whether we call somebody we know needs help, whether we look in to a mercy need that we think maybe nobody has seen yet, that's, I believe, where we're called to lose our lives and live for Christ. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The world is 
full of various expressions of religion, from the bizarre to very close to the truth. What's the difference between what Christians believe and religion? How should it affect my life? Pastor Ricky will tackle these questions and more as he teaches through his series entitled, Why Religion is Not the Gospel. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Why Religion is Not the Gospel. That's next time on Better News Radio.